Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Hey, Paul. How's it going today? I'm doing well. Fantastic. It's been eventful. I know we've had a couple of week hiatus. Uh, lots happening between the last episode and now. Uh, my son got his first summer job, uh, which was kind of cool. Uh, he's going to be working at an amusement park, um, the same one I worked at as a kid, uh, which is kind of funny. Um, and uh, he, I took him last weekend for all his paperwork, and, and we had to set up a bank account for him for the, um, the direct deposit for his check and, and stuff like that. So a lot of teachable moments mixed in. And maybe we'll do an episode on it at some point around kids and jobs because uh, it was very interesting. Um, I had a lot of thoughts on that topic. And I kind of thought that this week's topic was a little bit of a motivation for me to jump back into dusting off the virtual or the uh, digital dust off my book that I haven't touched in a while. And I started to do the editing. Um, lots of edits to do, uh, but I'm hopeful that uh, hopefully by... My son's graduation, so I'm giving myself a really long uh, track of time here, um, that I'll have at least the book done enough to get self-published. So I'm going through that now and trying to do a few pages a night kind of thing if I can, uh, but I'm sure I'm going to go off track again. But I do want to try to get the book done um, by the time my son graduates, not this June, but next June. So that's what's kind of been going on here. What's been happening with you, Paul? Uh, just very, very busy. Lots going on. Uh, my uh, eldest son graduated from college, so we uh, we had that, which was a great, uh, a lot of excitement, a lot of fun, and uh, you know, a huge, huge milestone there. And uh, we're moving them down south, and uh, I think. 30 days from now or something like that. So it's a lot going on here as well. Oh, very cool. Yeah, congratulations on that. Um, How was he, how does it feel to have the the son graduated from college? And what's his, beyond the job, does he plan on going to grad school or anything like that? Or what's the next steps, do you think? Yeah, so next step for him is he, you know, he does have a job. Uh, He's going to do that. You know, he'll see about getting a master's later on in life. I I don't know if it'll be in engineering. It could be more in the data science field or MBA type thing to give himself a little bit more well-rounding aspects of things. But, uh, yeah, he's he's really excited to start this job, and he, he can't wait. So looking forward to it. You know, it's a little weird. He's going to be much further away than he's ever been, and it's a permanent move, right? You know, everything from car being registered down there had to change a driver's license everything so it's a i think it's a it's a bit hard especially for mom right but uh it's kind of we kind of knew this was going to happen very cool very cool i'm sure it'll go fine i'm sure it'll go great um today's topic is crypto-based investing Um, we've been wanting to tackle this topic for quite some time we're going to try to tackle the topics around crypto understanding it uh, different types, etc. But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. The first news story 
is from the New York Times. Uh, interesting article. What we spent in a month. Six American families open their doors and their wallets to show us how much life costs. Um, very interesting article. Uh, read through it at, at a high level. Um, seemed to try to capture all the different facets of life. There were people in here that were, were, were very stunned by this. Some people actually in a weird way benefited by the COVID um, in terms of uh, maybe working from home and not commuting. So there was a lot of different stories in here. And I think, Paul, you, you read this a little bit more deeply than I had. Um, but I'm interested in your take on this story. Well, you know, I, I think this article gets to the heart of a lot of what we talk about. And that's, uh, to some extent, budgeting and planning. And if I would say it differently, I'd say it about being honest with yourself and looking at where your money is going and, and tracking it. I remember um, Jody used to have, used to micromanage every aspect of every penny going out the door. And I give him a lot of credit for that. That takes a lot of energy to do that. Um, you and I do it at a little bit, you do it at a higher level, I think, and I do it at a much more macro level. But it, it's very eye opening if you really sit down and, you know, figure out where your money is going. This, this was a, a great article and really shows the importance of budgeting and not even budgeting, just understanding where your money is going. Right. You know, one of the first families here, they're spending roughly eight thousand dollars a month and they list out in the article where all the money's going. And when you look at it, they had some um, bigger expenses, one of which I thought was interesting was about nine hundred dollars of the eight thousand are for restaurants. Now, this is just a one month snapshot of each family, but, you know, and it implies that they're struggling. So understanding, again, where that money's going is just so important. Yeah, understood. I think it was interesting because there were other people that took advantage of the situation, right? And, and another couple, I believe, you know, was investing more because they had more disposable income. Um, once again, thankful and grateful. My wife and I, our jobs uh, allowed us to work from home uh, relatively easy with relative ease. So in a weird way, some of our normal expenditures were not there, uh, which allowed us to to save a little bit more money. But, you know, I know that once again, thankful and grateful, the stark contrast is there's a lot of people out there that if they don't go somewhere to work, they don't get paid. Right. So Absolutely. there's a lot of, you know, a, a lot of people that were in that trap as well. So and, and, and I think it's gotten better um, and I'm glad that things are starting to open up. Um, and hopefully at some point things will go back to somewhat normal. Uh, but it is interesting to see the different facets of life and where people were spending their money on. So definitely an interesting read. Um, yeah, and, and to some extent, I would say not only where they're spending the money, but you can look at it almost from a prioritization, some of it, when, when you look at some of the things that people are spending the money on. So it's, again, you know, it's your money. You can do what you want with it. But again, I think that same couple you were alluding to that had a little bit more disposable income, putting more away for retirement than some of the others. But um, it, it's, it's just really, really insightful. And if um, I think we'll post it on the um, on the page there, 
this link. And it's a really good article. I really encourage everyone to just look at it. And then it gives you that opportunity to step back and look at your own finances and think about how you think about things. Yeah, excellent call out, Paul. Uh, give people a little time to reflect on their own finances. Um, the second news story uh, was from Yahoo. Um, oh, actually, it's from Yahoo News, but once again, it's a New York Times article. Very interesting. Uh, a federal loan program can trap parents in debt. And, and we've talked about this on the show, maybe not in depth, and it might be worth digging into the, the pitfalls of this, but... Basically, uh, when I read it, Paul, I was not surprised. I think a lot of people go in very emotional to looking at their kids going to school. And this Parent PLUS loan, I think, is almost borderline predatory, um, in my opinion. Um, it, what it basically does is you, you borrow all this money, and both the child and the parents are on the hook equally for the money. Right, so it's a very dangerous loan, especially for parents who who don't make a lot of money and really couldn't afford to send their kids to college in the first place, and then they sign up for this thing well intentioned, and everyone's well intentioned. And not only does it cause financial hardship, but I think it it also causes emotional hardship as well, because if you have that two hundred thousand dollar loans hanging out there. And it's up to the kids and the parents to pay it. And then you got fingers pointing at each other. I don't have the money. Well, you don't have the money, but you're working. Like there's all kinds of things, right? I really think it's it could be a family buster as well. So, um, and once again, this is probably a topic that, Paul, you called out. We'll probably do a deeper topic on. It's probably worth warning people out there around the pitfalls of these Parent PLUS loans. Paul, what was your opinion on this story? Uh, I was actually appalled that this is a federal government program and how it's set up and the interest rates on it are, are so, so high. You know, it's like an eight and a half percent rate, um, at least in this article here. So, you know, I don't know if it fluctuates with the actual, you know, Fed Reserve rates or not. I have to look into it more. But it just, as you said, you know, both sides of it are on the hook for it. And the data that they called out in this New York Times article is really interesting as well. So uh, I, I do think it's um, worth the, the greater topic. And again, you know, I think we've said it a number of episodes, you know, college isn't for everybody and it's not a requirement, right? There's plenty of good jobs out there. And I think I referenced a number of uh, podcasts ago about a plumber buddy of, of mine saying that the average age of the plumber where I am here in um, the Long Island area it keeps going up every year because no one's going into the business. So from a business point of view, from an income point of view, it, it's sort of a target-rich environment. So the, no one wants to do some of these skilled labor-type things anymore, which means there's just more of an opportunity because more houses are being built, more people need help, and a lot of folks don't have don't know the difference between maybe a screwdriver and a hammer, right? So uh, that's my two cents on it. Yeah, it's funny. you When you mention that, I'm reminded of the Caddyshack movie uh, where the line in there is like, well, the world needs ditch diggers too, right? And I, I think yep. for me, I, I'm more focused on, and I've talked about this in past episodes, what does the kid want to do, right? What What is, you know, so the kid's ready to go to college, 
Um, may, and if the kid wants to go to college that, versus going out to the trades, um, and I gave some great examples, like my nephew wanted to go into the trades, that's where he is, right? Um, my son, he wants to you know, go into computers and computer science. So I'm going to wor- make that work, right? We're going to make that work. I think it starts fundamentally with what does the kid want to do? So not forcing him or her into a specific slot, but what does that person think they want to do? Because I think college in general could be affordable for everybody if it's done smartly. I, I had a dinner with a friend of mine, um, got his computer science degree, um, he spent the first two years in community college, and he was able to map those courses with those, you know, with the money spent to the four-year program at the college of his choice, right? So I think it comes down to understanding or at least trying to understand what the kid wants to do and then supporting that kid in that effort smartly. I think what happens is the kids don't know enough about what they want to do, and instead of taking the road that's you know the the best the best cost effective road you know the idea is we're going to send the kid to private university right and and I think there was a statistic and I'm I'm jumbling stuff up but someone had posted on Facebook uh Paul that Fordham our alma mater is now the one of the, it's like the 14th highest cost uh private college in the nation wow wow I right? did not know that it's insane Right. And, and loved going to Fordham. You were buds from Fordham. My wife's from Fordham. It's great. Fordham was great for me. It was much more affordable, I think, when I went. Um, and, and now it's turned into this, you know, it's turned into something that is going to be hard for the average person to afford. Right. And, and well, I think I, I... that's why it comes down to having to do these things smartly. I had a friend at the time that went to Fordham. He was a year ahead of us, Paul. He did two years at a community college, took those credits, transferred them to Fordham, graduated the Fordham degree, right? So I think it comes down to, and we'll probably blow this up on a on a bigger podcast. I'll save it. I'll save my energy for the for that podcast. Right, well. <laughs> but but you know, I I think that for me it comes down to what does the kid think he or she wants to do, and then make smart choices. The Parent Plus loan, just not a smart choice. Very dangerous choice. Could wreck families. Can wreck lives. Can wreck. Uh, financial stability. There's so many problems with it. We'll dive deeper into it on another on another episode. I think we we need to dig deeper into that, Paul. Yeah, I I, I totally totally agree with you there, Paul. Totally agree. I, I think it'd be a great episode. Um, if it's something you want to hear, let us know. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Just post it to the Facebook page. So I think with that, we'll go to our our weekly topic: uh, crypto based investing. Um, and my current situation with this, Paul, is I have no real desire right now to invest in crypto myself or mine crypto. I'm still having a hard time understanding it, even after all the research I done had done in the past uh, week or two. Um, I could tell you that I have a good friend of mine uh, that I used to work with. He's actually building mining rigs that allow people to mine crypto. And you put this box in your house and over time, it just begins to make money on its own uh, and more than you paid for it, even with the electricity. Interesting take. So he's focused on that part of the business. I have another two good friends of mine that I talked about this over uh, with dinner on, and they're actually making those investments and looking at different crypto and and different uh, digital assets to make investments in. But for me, Paul, it's still very new, too new. Uh, but we're going to try to dig into it today. Paul, what's your current situation when it comes to crypto? 
Well, one, you know, crypto really isn't that old. Uh, my current situation is I, I do hold uh, a bunch of cryptocurrencies, uh, three different ones. Uh, current situation is I've, I've lost money on, I think, two of them right now. Uh, one is kind of break even a little bit because it's such a roller coaster. And, and I think part of it is people don't understand what crypto is and then the hype machine around it. There's so much hype. It's it's become uh, it's almost become the gain stop or the AMC, if you will, uh, of, of talking about investing. And the citizen investor is what's making it. I don't know if I want to use the word unstable, but so uh, up so all over the place. Yeah, it's very it's very crazy, right? And I think that's why you know today's attempt will be to just touch upon some topics, some common topics, and in full transparency, um, the topics list that I put together, Paul, I had shared with my two buddies I went to dinner with. They they thought it was a good coverage list, a good 101-type primer, so we thought it'd be good for the, for the episode. I think just like anything else we talk about here, you want to do your own research, you want to dive deep, you want to understand it fully yourself. Um, so I think with that, we'll start with, you know, what is crypto itself? And I'm grabbing this uh, definition right from Wikipedia, right? A cryptocurrency or cryptocurrency or crypto is a digital asset designed to work as a medium of exchange where an individual coin ownership records are stored in a ledger existing in a form of a computerized database using strong cryptography to secure transaction records, to control the creation of additional coins, and to verify the transfer of coin ownership. Um, typically doesn't exist in physical form, uh, typically is not issued by a central authority, just like you said, Paul, and they're typically uh, used to uh, decentralize control as opposed to a centralized digital currency or centralized banking systems like our, our common currency is. So that was a that was a big mouthful, <laughs> I think, in terms of yeah, crypto. Yeah, I, I wish I had my bingo card out for you know, crypto bingo. I think you hit a lot of the words there. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of things here. Uh, I, I think in my layman's understanding of it so it's it's not a government-backed model right it to your point it's it's for the people created and it's supposed to be a currency that that's supposed to be unregulated that allows people to exchange monies uh in the form of a of crypto uh for goods and services uh and i think to to your point paul the problem is and you said it at the top of the podcast there's several types of cryptocurrency out there which one becomes the unofficial official standard. Um, Paul, what's your take? How, how would you best describe what is crypto in your own words? And maybe you can lend a better um, lens to it than I could. Yeah, I, I, crypto is, is just another way to exchange uh, something of value for something else of value. So I want to buy uh, a pizza pie. Okay, well, I'm going to pay you either in US dollars, maybe, or maybe in Dogecoin or Bitcoin or a fraction of a coin. So it sort of equates to that same sort of, I have one thing worth X and I want to pay you for that pizza pie, right? I, I think that's one of the easiest definitions or ways to think about it. Now, but what actually is crypto is, is sort of what we have to get into, or, or you, can, you did it actually already, but I mean, how do you get crypto and what is mining? Because crypto and mining go hand in hand and i think that's where a lot of people get lost in crypto because every time you say crypto the word mining comes up and it, it's kind of confusing but what i think uh, in my opinion 
crypto and these various cryptos, uh, governments around the world are somewhat nervous about them because it is, as you said, Paul, decentralized. And there is no Fed Reserve controlling it or doing anything with it or have the influence in it. So it's really completely, you know, world owned, if you will. And it's it, very interesting could have uh, huge, huge global ramifications upon it. And, and it has in a way, and you may not know that, uh, some of our listeners may not know that, but when there are ransomware attacks on companies, and if a company were to choose to pay for that, they generally it gets paid in cryptocurrency, in Bitcoin. And one of the larger public attacks recently, the company paid the ransom in crypto. And then somehow the U.S. government, I believe, was able to retrieve a bunch of that crypto back. They hacked in and did it. So it's it, this is truly uh, along the lines of a new world order and, and really a new battlefield, if you will. And maybe I'm getting a little exuberant and, you know, uh, over the top on it, but it has really, really interesting global ramifications. Yeah, I think we're just in the early stages, right, of this. And I think there's kind of three areas that we'll probably try, or maybe four that we'll try to tackle today. One is this mining aspect, right? Two is the, the currency itself, the different types. Uh, three is is really around things other than currency uh, when, we, when it comes to NFTs and crypto art. And then maybe the last piece we leave is around how to buy it. Right? What do you? How do? You, how do you secure it? Right? How do? You, how do you get it? You want to get into the game? How do you do it? So maybe we'll start with the different types at this point. So um, there's there's a few that are very common that you'll hear about. I think the biggest one is Bitcoin, and it's a cryptocurrency invented in 2008 by an unknown person or a group of people using the name Satoshi Nakamoto. And the currency began use in 2009, believe it or not. Uh, like you said, Paul, at the top of the podcast, uh, 10 years ago, right? Or more than 10 years ago, uh, when it was uh, an implementation was released as open source software, right? So I think that's one type of coin. It's probably the oldest one that's out there. The second one that I've seen is Arethium, which is another decentralized open source blockchain uh, with smart contact, contract functionality. Um, and and uh, it's... Um, you know, it's something that uh, is after Bitcoin is probably the second largest cryptocurrency uh, in the market today. Uh, and it's very active in, when it comes to using this blockchain, block ledger technology. Um, and then the other cryptocurrencies that have been making their, their way through are Chia and Dogecoin, right? So those are two different ones that have been very interesting. Paul, what's your take and what are the coins have you become familiar with? So I, I've become familiar with uh, actually the four you mentioned, really. the uh, I, I don't know how you say it. Maybe some people, I call it Dogecoin, but uh, that's how I thought you're supposed to say it, whatever. Uh, Bitcoin and Arethium. So all, all three of those. And then the Chia one you had turned me on to, to look at a few weeks ago. So I started looking at that some more. So all interesting, all different things. But, but I, I kind of... I don't know. Do you want to get into it now, Paul? It's like, what is mining and, and what it is? or Yeah, sure. I mean, let's let's dive in, right? It's ours to make it. We can cover those other topics. I wanted to definitely cover some different other other different types of crypto that are available, the crypto yep. art and the NFTs and, and how to buy it. But let's let's dive into the mining and we'll try to keep it at the 
as non-technical as possible because we have a, t- uh, a tendency to dive into the technical side of it more. And most of our listeners are, are probably not super technical <laughs> or, or we want to be able to present for the lowest common denominator. So I think when it comes to to crypto mining, uh, maybe, Paul, if you want to try to take a, a, a crack at it, I think you're you're more informed on it than I am. The only thing I really know about the crypto mining is it could eat a lot of power. It requires, uh, you know, depending on the the type of currency that you're trying to mine, like Arethium or Bitcoin, require uh, GPU and, and and lots of intense cycles you're already and, and, and power. What was that? You're already getting technical. You're throwing on a GPU. I, I got to call bingo soon. <laughs> okay, I'll step back. I'll let you have the, the, the floor no, on this if you want to uh, talk a little bit more about the mining stuff, Paul. Yeah, so um, I was trying to find a good definition. I kind of found one here. I, I think it might have been on Investortopia or, or maybe Wikipedia. I don't remember which one. But Bitcoin mining is performed by high-power computers that solve complex computational math problems. These problems are also so complex they cannot be solved by hands and are complicated enough to tax even incredibly powerful computers. So another um, definition I found was back in the day, people used to go into mines and mine for gold or diamonds or, or whatever. And it's really the same. It's really similar to that. They are trying to find something. And in the cryptocurrency world, they're trying to solve very complex computational math problems. That's what they're doing. And because they're so hard, it takes tons of computing power to do that. And the power of your computer today, while it's super powerful and was more than a supercomputer, you know, 30 years ago, by the standards then, it's not enough now. So they break apart these complex problems into small components. And then multiple machines throughout the world solve their individual components, and then they get grouped together to the solution. How's that work? Yeah, that's much better. Uh, so, yeah, so I think that a uh, good definition, Paul, I, I think that once again, for me, I'm having a hard time digesting the whole mining piece of it. I could tell you that my son at one point wanted to got interested in mining him and his buddies were going to do it with their PCs. And I know that they tried to research it and, and kind of fell flat in terms of the mining piece. Um, my buddies who are very technical are doing mining. They're having success with the mining. Um, uh, they've explained to me as, as basically as they can how they do it. Um, and it's very interesting um, that, you know, I think even, you know, less than five years ago, it was very complex to get into mining. Uh, whereas today, there are platforms out there that you you sign up for and will help you mine. And you kind of put your computer and you put their software on your computer. And like you said, Paul, you can mine a certain piece of it and be part of that and get rewarded for using your computer and your electric and all that kind of stuff to do the mining. So uh, just very interesting to me. I don't know how much deeper we want to go into the mining aspect, Paul. I don't know how much deeper I could go into it. Yeah, uh, just a couple little things I want to touch on, if you don't mind. Is that all right? No, that's fine. Let's yeah, right. let's dig so, into it. Cool. A, a good buddy of mine at work um, seven years or so ago wanted me to get into mining with him. And I'm like, I, I just had too much going on at the time, and I didn't. 
Uh, I wish I had, right? Because I probably would uh, maybe still be doing this podcast, but uh, maybe not going to work every day. Anyway, um, one of the things that's come about as these things have been evolving, the problems that are being used are more and more complex. And because they require so much computing power, it has to be split out even further. But it takes electricity to run those computers. And for some of these complex problems to solve, it takes more energy, electricity, than it is for what you're getting in value back on the Bitcoin. All right. So say it costs you just uh, $10 in electricity in using your computer to solve that problem. Well, it's costing you $10. You might only be getting the equivalent of $8 back in the process in, as a fractional point, as a fractional portion of a coin. So, you, so you're sort of negative there. Or maybe you're even even, right? Maybe you're even even. But don't forget, you have the cost of the computer as well in there. And I, I was thinking about this morning, Paul, you know, how, how to like, well, why is it so hard? What's going on? And, and you mentioned GPU. The GPU is the graphics processing unit of a computer. And they're really good at uh, some of the math equations and doing things. If you ever watched, maybe you had your laptop on your lap one day and you're watching a movie or videos and it got really, really hot. Right. Has that ever happened to you, Paul? Oh, absolutely. Right? Yep. Absolutely. Right. So think about your computer running almost that hot all the time. Right. Because it's using up every ounce of computing power to do something. So then you have cooling expenses and, and people keep building these out. In fact, there is one graphics card maker that people found that their cards are so good at mining and so efficient, but that company, they couldn't make them fast enough and they couldn't get them into computer gaming systems because people were buying them for crypto mining. They actually put code in their GPU to slow it down so people could not use it for mining but still be good for video games. But And, and that that's the whole thing of it. And that's where people are getting a little bit more understanding of it and saying, well, okay, electricity costs so much. And it's not just the dollar value of it. It's the, the global warming economic impact of, well, is your electricity from a coal-based system or is it from you know solar and wind? Right. So even that is now playing into this. So as we said at the top of the podcast, you know, global impacts. These are some of the global impacts of some of these things. So it's it's uh, there's a lot on there. And I, I probably could keep going on and on a few minutes more, but I'll stop right there. Just to, I just want to give people a broader context and sort of what it is a little bit there. Yeah, no, that was great. I, I think the only thing I would add to it is uh, my, my one of my friends gave me a good example. Him and his buddy had built. Uh, a rig that was running and, and mining, right? And and or a couple of rigs, whatever it was, and they made this co-investment. And to your point, um, it wasn't returning, right? Like it was, it was building, but it was it, it became like um, a negative, right? They put ten dollars in to only get eight dollars back, right? And they had done this for a while, and then they turned the boxes off, right? And then they went like a year later or two years later, they looked at the account, and now 
that value of those coins were way higher than it was two years prior. So yeah, I think well, just like anything else, it's the fluctuation in the market that can impact, you know, absolutely. so if, if you're investing now and you're losing 20% in your example, like you get, you're spending 10 to get eight, maybe you're, you're hopeful that the future will be that the coins will go up and, you know, be 12%, right? You get that 2% back, whatever that is. But it was very interesting because that was a real world example where my friends had stopped the mining. And then a couple of years later, uh, looked at the accounts and said, oh, man, like, <laughs> it's like they made some decent money on it, right? And not realizing, right? They just, just forgot about it, so to speak. So it's very interesting how that market is. And I think it's going to continue to be a bit, you know, a bit up and down for quite some time until some of these players settle out. The one, the one feedback that uh, piece of feedback my friend gave us uh, was that besides Bitcoin, Ethereum, Chia, and 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 Dogecoin, um, there's many other coins out there. Like it, it's really a lot of a lot of different types of cryptocurrency has popped up, right? And people are making strong plays into mining all sorts of different kinds. So. I think it's going to be a while. I don't, and I can't put a time box on it, but I'll just say uh, it's got to be at least another year plus, right? Where probably more than that, but you know, where you'll start to see some some players kind of float to the top. We maybe we've seen that already with Ethereum and 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 Bitcoin, um, but you know, I think it's still going to be some time before kind of the true players uh, grab that 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 that. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The you know the mass adoption. So, Paul, what's your take when it comes to like all the different coins, and what do you think the future holds in terms of who's going to lead the charge, and where do you think this is going to go? Uh, again, right now, clearly Bitcoin has been the leader. Right, that, that's just clearly evident. Ethereum is really uh, a second, close second in in a different way. Uh, and you're right; it's going to shake out over time. My, my biggest concern, sort of, uh, by trying to be unbiased about it, is that there'll be government regulations coming uh, because it's something they can't control right now. And, you know, how is that, how can they try and get their hands around it, control it, and, and get their share of the pie, right? So it, it's, there's, it's going to be really, really interesting. Um, there are going to be some out there, and you're probably going to start to see, um, purpose-built GPUs and such for this. Uh, quite honestly, I'm surprised uh, Tesla, if I, if I call out a company, doesn't leverage their computational power because their cars are dual-purpose or, or dual-seat GPU and CPU machines that are extremely powerful, like really, really powerful stuff. And gee, while the car is asleep and maybe plugged in at night where the electricity rates are lower, why not leverage those really powerful machines and GPUs to mine it, right? So I, I, I think we're, I, I don't know if we're in the infancy anymore, Paul. I think we're sort of in a toddler stage maybe because mm -hmm. the infancy was many years ago. Uh, I think what's happening now is it's becoming more apparent as to what's out there and what's available and it's a hot topic right now. Yeah, it is very crazy. And I think that that's a great concept. Um, and I think um, in the future, uh, things will, will start to come together. But yeah, I, we'll, we'll have to see. I, I agree with you. Probably in a toddler stage. And, and we'll have to see where it goes. 
Um, I think some of the other things we want to touch upon are around these other types. And, and this was an interesting, once again, came from the conversation with my buddies. We talked about NFTs, non-fungible tokens, uh, in terms of a unit of data stored in a digital ledger uh, in that blockchain uh, architecture uh, that signifies and certifies a digital asset. So it could be a photo, it could be a video, it could be an audio file. It could be something that's very unique. Um, I'm still having a hard time understanding that, Paul. I don't know if you've come across NFTs at all. Have, have you looked at this yeah. at all, Paul? Uh, I have. I've read some articles on it. And it, it is kind of weird. They've done NFTs for physical assets as well as digital. Generally, it is a digital asset. If I were to try and summarize an NFT, and I, I think I got it, but I could be wrong, right? Let us know. But it, it's who owns it. So in this ledger, so think about uh, the accounting of an asset. So right now, it's owned by, say, the manufacturer who, who creates this image, this piece of art, let's say. All right. They then sell to you, Paul. Well, what happens in blockchain and this NFT is, okay, it was originally owned by this person with this unique identifier, meaning the creator. Then it was sold. I don't I think it, some of them carry the dollar amount too, or the how much it was to you, Paul Fagan. Okay. And then, and with your unique ID, and then you sell it to me. And all that information is all carried along in this one long ledger. And the ledger, it can't be written, overwritten. So it, that's the, the trick with this blockchain and how the NFTs work. It ident The NFTs identify the true owner and within that, who along the entire path and life cycle of this item owned or has owned this item. How's that work? Yeah, no, I think, that, and that ties to the crypto art, right? So I know that there's been all kinds of stories out there where some of this crypto art and these NFTs have been selling for millions of dollars, right? Um, and and so it, it, it still blows my mind on how this all works. But once again, you know, to your point, great explanation, Paul, in terms of how that ties out and and, and verifies the ownership and makes it so a unique owner each and every time, right? And, and it can't be disputed because it's stored in this type of, of technology, right? In this crypto, mm -hmm. between crypto and blockchain and all these different pieces, it's it's kind of tied together. So I think... Right. So Paul, if I could just... I just Sorry, just one, one last thing. On it. Like, So yes, I could take a copy of that picture, right? And But it's not the original. Only you or whoever owns it at that time has the original. So you sure you can make a copy of a song or a piece of digital art, but there's only one true owner at any given time and the others are all fakes. And that's where it does tie into, you know, well, how do you do that on a Picasso and things like that? Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I think that all makes sense, right? So you're right. You can, you can have that copy and, and have many copies, I guess, but it always ties back to who originally owns it, right? So the proof of ownership is in the crypto, right? The proof of ownership is in this NFT token, right? Um, yep. Which which makes sense. So um, great explanation, Paul. And I think with that, we'll, we'll go to our last topic is how to buy crypto, right? So I was looking online. There seem to be many different avenues at the moment to buy it. Um, 
the one thing that stuck out is you need a wallet to put the currency in, and it has to be a secure wallet. The one site that I that kept coming up for me, Paul, was Coinbase, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, um, but you could buy as little as much as you want through that mechanism. I haven't personally tried it, but every time I Google searched, Coinbase seems to be that, that one site that keeps coming up. Paul, what's your take when it comes to buying it and, and holding your, your, your currency? Yeah, so you, you do need a digital wallet. There are multiple ways to store that information. Um, and there are digital wallets out there that will write to a secure USB stick. And that is your your wallet. Um, I know people that keep them in safes, actually. So their wallet's in a safe because there's a lot of money on it. Uh, Coinbase is a publicly traded organization, company. They have just went public, I think, not, I don't remember how long ago, but they're sort of one of the bigger players in the environment right now. Uh, I don't think they've been public very long. And you can only buy certain types of um, currencies through them. You can't buy all of them. So, for example, you can buy, I believe, Bitcoin, Ethereum. I think Ethereum 2 is coming out. will probably be on that. But you can't buy Dogecoin on that. For that, you can buy on another trading platform called Robinhood, which has had their own challenges of late in the past year. You know, they were a big highlight during the uh, games, GameStop stuff, We and we talked about that. So it, it's interesting. Um, and, and again, the reason why they're doing these is to keep these transactions secure, and you have to prove that it is you that has this currency because there is nothing physical about these, as you said at the top when you're reading the uh, the definition, right? It's not a physical asset. And people say, I need my dollar bill. Well, if you, if you look at the dollar bill, we went off the gold standard a long, long time ago. So that dollar bill, if you read the back of it, says, you know, backed by the good faith of the United States. Okay. So it, it it's just hard for people to jump from holding a physical piece of paper to a digital wallet. Obviously, millions of people have done it because they're buying these currencies, but a lot of people, it, it, it's really hard to make that transition there. And Coinbase is one of the leaders in that space. Yeah, it's very interesting. You mentioned the, the USB stick, and the thing that comes to mind is you know, what if you lose the stick or your, your your kid takes the stick and formats it for his, you know, PowerPoint presentation for school and <laughs> you had like, you know, $20,000 worth of crypto on there? What is the implication? That one I'm unsure of. I know I've read articles where people will dig out landfills to find a $200,000, you know, two, you know $200 million Bitcoin was lost like in a like they they were paying to try to find it. It was some, like some crazy thing. So is it is it true that it's irreputable? You can't get it back. I don't know that part of it. Yeah, I mean, depending on how it's stored and how they did it. Yeah, very likely. That that's the whole point of it. Um, uh, I remember reading an article or, or someone telling me that they have this one buddy who keeps his USB stick, you know secured on him physically because he's so nervous about it right like a little weird okay but you know i think a safe is probably a better place maybe but again it's interesting and, and it's also interesting again because none of this is really regulated at this point in time so it's like it's the wild west gold rush just today 
in a in a in a unique world where it's nothing physical. Is there another spot that you could keep your wallet? Do you have to keep it on a USB stick? No, you can keep it on your hard drive. You can uh, some there are services out there that'll do it for you. Yeah, I, I think if I had to jump into it, I would want some place to keep it that was not. A, 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 a USB stick. And the only reason I say that is, yes, I have, I could, I would, you you could secure the stick itself in, in the safe. And I totally agree with you. My, my fundamental problem is I've had USB B sticks go bad, right? It's a $20 item, right? Or a $10 yeah. item. And just like the old days of God, I'm dating myself, floppy disks, right? In the height, the likelihood of them going bad is, is a lot lower than a floppy disk. But man, like I'd be scared to have a lot of money tied up on a physical, you know, device like a USB stick or some sort of hard drive. I think I would want my wallet to be somewhere secure, uh, dare I say in the cloud, right? Someplace where I know that it's 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 in a safe place that is not subject to being lost, falling out of my pocket, or being burned, or, or just the physical media going bad without a proper backup. Right. And like I said, Coinbase and others. So I guess the way I would say, Paul, is if you're looking to get into this, you know, maybe you talk, take a little bit of money, you know, uh, maybe it's $50 and try, you know, different services just to understand how it works, right? Just to understand how the wallet works. And will go through the process so you understand it from end to end. Uh, to me, I think that's the only real way you'll learn about it is by taking a little bit of money that is almost, you know, I know we're the financial dads and we try and make sure you know what you're doing with your money, but maybe it is taking that 50 bucks and it's almost like writing it off. And okay, I'm going to play just to understand the wallets and the coins and the different things I could do with it and the different services. Uh, with the wallets and things like that. That's that's how I would recommend someone try it, just to get comfortable so they have a clue. So you're not putting $100,000 in something. You're playing with 50 bucks, right? I mean, that, that's not even a night out for dinner for two. It's maybe one, if that. So that's my, uh, my word on that, my thoughts on that. Yeah, that makes sense. That's great advice, right? So if you want to dabble in it, uh, open a small account, Maybe use something like you know Coinbase, take fifty bucks and experiment, right? It's, it, and and look at the different currencies. And you could buy these fractions of the currencies and and start your wallet. And and I guess the other thing is, and we really didn't have it as a topic, but where where can you spend and exchange this currency, right? You hear a lot about people buying it and saving it, but and and trading it, and or not maybe not necessarily trading it, but you know investing in it, and then it goes up and down in value. So there's a lot of focus on it, but where do you actually use it? I know that I've seen uh, different companies would accept Bitcoin uh, that were out there. Um, even small mom and pop pizza shops, for example, would accept Bitcoin. Uh, Paul, have you have you are you familiar with any companies that are actually accepting these digital currencies at this point in time? Well, it's really interesting because I think um, one of the most public and um, sort of out there companies, again, uh, the the, the organization Tesla by Elon Musk, they were accepting Bitcoins for their vehicles. Now, Tesla's all about environmentally friendly vehicles that are fast and fun to drive. But what they decided very recently was they're going to stop taking Bitcoin 
because of the carbon footprint to create and generate those bitcoins is so massive that until it becomes you know more environmentally friendly to mine them they didn't want to take the bitcoin and bitcoin dropped dramatically when that happened because here was a flagship organization throughout the world accepting it and kind of legitimizing it really when you think about it and now they stopped so it's it, it's um as, again, I wouldn't say it's the infant stage. I'd sort of say it's a toddler stage where we're learning things and figuring out how this is all going to play out in the future. But uh, as of today, uh, I'm sure there are places out there that will accept them. I just can't think of anything big uh, coming to mind at the moment. Yep. No, it just, just was a general question. So I think with that, we'll let people – you know, we'll go into the summary recap. I think for me, I learned a lot today. Thanks, Paul. Um, I think you were able to explain it better than my research could. So I thank you for that. Um, I think we're ju I, we just scratched the surface today. So for anybody out there that's listening that wants to understand this more, plenty of websites, plenty of articles. Uh, use your best judgment. Uh, use your gut as you're doing this. If you're going to jump into the Bitcoin or the crypto pool, do it with, uh, with both feet and, and, and your eyes wide open and, and start small. Right, what you could afford to lose, make that investment and and start to play. Paul, what's your what's your take on the uh, recap for today? What are your some of your takeaways? So uh, very similar to yours, Paul. I, I I love the exchange, the dialogue. You know, I always love learning new things. But it's funny you said you know if you're gonna do it, go both feet and eyes wide open. I don't think I do both feet. I do maybe a little pinky toe in and eyes wide open. And as you're researching it, look at the authenticity of those sites. Don't get taken into something really really look out there um and, and again like the the one site again not, not to call out a company but like coinbase is one that is actually a publicly traded organization which in a, in my mind is also interesting right here we have a publicly traded organization that helps you manage and sell a currency that can't be touched it just it's kind of you know cerebral and, and kind of interesting to me so that there's lots of stuff out there we we did call out a couple but again let, let us know what you want us to cover on uh some on the site and uh we can certainly look at more articles and and topics very cool very cool well paul i thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today and i'm personally looking forward to the next one thanks everyone for downloading our podcast if you have any questions or comments please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you.